Okay, hello everybody. Welcome to Cop On Podcast. This is a Cop On special. I am absolutely thrilled and delighted that uh, Jan Willem Spans has joined us from the Netherlands. Uh, the Netherlands that have produced uh, some beautiful footballers, of course, over the years. And I wonder how many of them are as good as Virgil van Dijk. And Jan has written a book about the big man, the monster, the colossus at the back for Liverpool. So, Jan, thank you very much. Welcome to Cop On Podcast. How are you today? And uh, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and uh, how you got and your connection with uh, Liverpool FC, please. Hi, everyone. Um, first of all, thank you, Owen, for having me on today. That's absolutely my pleasure. Um, my name is Jan. I am a 24-year-old old football writer from Amsterdam. As you might be able to tell by the way I speak, I have done my university years in Scotland doing sports journalism. Um, I am obviously a football follower. I have followed Liverpool all my life, basically, since I was really, really young. I've no real explanation of how I got into following Liverpool, but I do. And after concluding my studies in Scotland, I work as a football writer and a sports journalist in the Netherlands. And a publisher approached me roughly a year ago, just under a year ago, to write a book on Virgil van Dijk, Liverpool's number four, the captain of the Dutch national team. And I'm glad they took him up on the offer. It did reasonably well. It was quite pleasant to see the sales figures in the Netherlands. So we decided on publishing a translated edition, which I'm more than happy to discuss today. Well, thank you very much. And uh, I will give these, these details at the end of our conversation as well. But just off the bat, how do we get a copy of the, you know, the English or the Dutch version? If you're actually Dutch, you can get it on all the regular book websites. Um, um, if you're not from here, you'd have to find me on social media, which we'll sure get to at some point in the episode. If you are after the English, a copy in English, then you would do well to visit the people over at kobo.co.uk. There's a link which I'm more than happy to provide to anyone who is after it. Fantastic. So I'll put the link in the uh, episode description and I'll put it out on Twitter as well, along with, uh, and uh, we'll come to your social media details in a bit. Uh, so, Jan, where did you get the idea? to write a book about Virgil just because those publishers approached you or was it something in the back of your mind anyway? It really was not my idea. No, no, no. Um, I was approached by a Flemish publisher, in fact, who I who I've met during a football match in Antwerp, which I covered for the football magazine I work for back home. Yeah, we kept in touch ever since we met. He is a very big name in Belgian football writing. Um, He's done dozens and dozens of football books, all very good. And out of the blue, really, um, three days after Liverpool won the Champions League last year, he approached me and said, would you maybe want to do this project? And we met in Antwerp in a local bar and we discussed the details and that's basically how things started. Fantastic. And from there... Because um, I'm curious, I mean, I'm, I'm sure many people, you know, myself included, have thoughts, you know, about maybe one day writing a book. But then when it gets to the actual reality and the hard work, 
um, you know, people like me fall by the wayside. I mean, how do you get from an idea to a published book, this this process of, you know, researching, deciding on the structure of the book and then writing it and rewriting it? I mean, is that the sort of how it works and how did you find the process? Um that's interesting that you touch on that. Um, I think it was a huge help that there was actually a publisher who had set me a relatively strict deadline of September the 1st. So I had like three months to um, complete the work, which obviously took a big chunk out of the summer last year, but okay. Um, I think if you don't have that pressure of having to deliver something, you might indeed at some point really struggle to see a way out. But I had committed and actually signed a contract. So... There was not really an option of pulling out. So, yeah, I went to work and basically had a draft idea in my head how I wanted it um, to look and who I wanted to speak with. And most people I wanted to speak with were actually really happy to indeed collaborate. So that was really helpful. Yeah, fantastic. Fantastic. Um, yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. And do keep listening, listeners, because uh, Jan has kindly recorded... Uh, an extract from his book that you can hear uh, a bit later. Uh, but uh, getting onto the book itself, it does have an interesting structure that you've just uh, talked about. Uh, can you explain to our, our listeners a little bit about the, the structure of the book and why did you decide to do it that way? How did that idea germinate? Right. So the book is called A Day in the Life, which um, isn't in fact a Beatles reference because it was originally in Dutch and it's part of a series that the publisher in question has um, invented, basically. Um, so what is there to say? Um, the day in the life is obviously the day of the Champions League final, and I thought it would be interesting to um, tell the story of the day of that final with flashbacks to earlier points in his career. So it deals with him as a youth player, as um, an up-and-coming talent in Dutch football, as somebody who's clearly on the way to greater things at Celtic and at Southampton before he eventually ended up at our wonderful club and being the best defender in the world, I think we're able to say. So that was the structure we decided on, and then it worked out quite well. Yeah, it's a thoroughly enjoyable read. Uh, I do recommend it, listeners. I, I, I really enjoyed it, Jan. Yeah, thank um you know, well done, basically, is what I could say. But uh, Dutch football, you know, let's talk about, you know, Dutch football in general and Virgil as a player. Um, Dutch football's been, uh, had some kind of renaissance because you had to, you've had some pretty dark years since finishing runner-up uh, in the World Cup final to Spain in 2010. Um, you know, sorry to bring that up. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's, that was the third time that the Dutch team had failed at the final hurdle in the, at the World Cup. And, you know, the Dutch team has always been very, very strong. But then, you know, you didn't qualify for a couple of tournaments. But now it's looking like the team is, is very strong again. How, how important has Virgil been? Because I'm sure, you know, our listeners know how important Virgil is to Liverpool. But I'm, I'm interested in the Dutch team and how important... He's been in the recent Dutch renaissance. Well, he's obviously the captain of the national team, a national team that has seen a tremendous upturn in its fortunes of late. I think the national team manager, Ronald Koeman, is the best that the Dutch have had since 2010. The people who were in charge before Koeman were maybe, they didn't do as well. And yeah, there is obviously a new 
generation of very, very good Dutch footballers when there was a bit of a gap with um, the top players of the 2010 tournament. Your Robin, your Snyder, your Van der Vaart, your Van Persie, I shouldn't forget him. Um, they were getting on in terms of age, declined in ability and weren't able to make the difference anymore and there was nobody to basically fill the void and now it's interesting because this is a team that is arguably stronger in defense than it is in attack with Virgil van Dijk being yeah the best defender in the world I think we can all agree on that and then with Matthijs de Ligt and Stefan de Vrij there's two further world-class center halves so this this Dutch team is blessed with three world-class central defenders which is something I don't think they've ever had before. So Virgil's importance, I think, yeah, his ability. And there's not much you need to tell Liverpool fans about how good a defender Virgil van Dijk is, but he is just as good when he wears the national jersey. So, yeah, you're going to... Yeah, you're bound to see better results, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, I think he could join uh, most teams and, and improve it. I mean, if he wants to come... Uh, to Paris and join my local five-a-side team. He's more than welcome. Uh, but, uh, you know, that would rob Liverpool fans of some joy as as we move forward. I mean, he's 28 years old. He's going to turn 29 uh, on the 8th of July. That's his birthday. So do, you know, I, I understand that, there, that there's a shortage of flour um, in, in the COVID-19 crisis around Europe. So, so I guess people are baking a lot. So do bake a cake for Virgil on the 8th of, of July. I'm sure the posties will send it to him. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, he's, uh, you know, how many more years do you think he's got left at the very top in his prime, which he is surely in now, as you say, Jan, I'm not going to disagree, the best defender in the world. How many years do you think he's got left? That is probably the most difficult question to answer. Um, he's obviously a tremendous defender who you would imagine is at the peak of his powers just now. Like, could be quite fearsome if he got better, really. If he could improve on this, then other teams wouldn't really have a chance, would they? Um, what should we say? Like, I think he's got at least five years left at the very top level of world football. Um, he obviously takes very good care of himself. I don't think there's many persistent injury problems for him. There's not been many since he joined Liverpool anyway. I think he struggled on the medical front when he was a Southampton player. But since at Liverpool, has he missed a game through injury? Maybe the one or two, but he's never had something that kept him out for a long, long time. Um, well, his physical abilities are elite. His technical abilities are, yeah, also up there with the very best. So I would be surprised if he would not be a top player five years from now. And then he's obviously 33 going on 34, which is when most footballers start to decline on a physical level and on a technical level as well. Um, so you never know how quickly a player does or doesn't decline. Um, so I'd say at least five years, and from then, it's probably anyone's guess, really. Uh, well, I, I, I would I would hope so. I mean, I think you're right. He's got the kind of, um, you know, the physique or the talent, and, you know, injuries can happen to anybody, of course, but you would think if he avoids major ones, then he should be able to go, I agree, for another five years at the very top level. 
Um, but uh, one thing that sort of scared me in your book was when I read about an interview back in 2012 where he said his ambition was to join Barcelona. Ooh, uh, do you think he still maybe harbours an ambition like that, or do you think he's he's happy with the with the in Liverpool red? Well, um, I'll be honest. I think he might still harbour the ambition to play for Barcelona one day. Um, he said it was his dream club, and he is a rather resolute character who usually tends to get his way, has set his sights on certain goals, and then go out, goes out to reach them, even when people think he would maybe not be up to get as far as he does. So if he's got Barcelona in his head, then that is something that we might very well have to take into account, whether or not we do like it. Um, but obviously... Um, Liverpool would not be very keen on selling their best defender, um, the best defender they've had in a very, very long time. So if Barcelona were to come to Anfield, they'd have to bring absolutely ungodly amounts of money to even tempt uh, Mr. Edwards into uh, potentially selling his best defender. That's very true. That's very true. Yeah, it would it, it would take a lot. It would take a lot of money and, uh, you know, as uh, Barcelona seem to be peddling uh, Coutinho around, um, I'm not sure if uh, I'm not sure if they've quite if they can if they can afford him really. Um, but yeah, it's very not like he's. I don't yeah. think it doesn't appear to me that he's unhappy at Liverpool. Like he's got no reason to be unhappy whatsoever. He might he might very well have seen what happened to Coutinho um, and maybe think, well, is there anywhere in the world better than Liverpool to play your football at the moment under the wings of Jurgen Klopp? Um, somewhere yeah. where supporters absolutely adore him, somewhere where he seems to get on really, really well with the supporters, with his teammates, with the manager. You can like still have a dream, but if the reality is this good, do you really want your dream? That's very well phrased. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's it's something that I mean. What 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 was just jumping into my mind was you know the, of course the Virgil Van Dyke song, um, and how Barcelona players. I mean, okay, Messi's just got Messi, Messi, but they, they they don't seem to have the same kind of adoration somehow that the that the Liverpool fans do uh, for certain players. I mean, Coutinho, for example, is a very good point, um, and hopefully that. That could be a lesson for Virgil. And maybe Virgil realises that with the quality of this Liverpool team, the fact, I mean, I was looking at stats just before our conversation and uh, Virgil, basically, he's, he's, of course, like the rest of the team, he's lost one league match this season and he lost one um, last season. So, I mean, he's lost two league matches in, in, in two years, pretty much. Um, it's absolutely phenomenal, this team. So I think it would be, uh, maybe a bit of a, bit of a mistake to, to, to go elsewhere. If, if your, your ultimate dream is to join the most successful club around, because I think that is Liverpool at the moment, or at least when this COVID situation is over. Um, but yeah, that's good. That's that's reassured me. Hopefully, he can see the light. But um, another thing that I found really enjoyable about your book, Jan, was how when you're reading it, you get more and more of uh, a picture into the into the mentality of the man. And it's something that fascinates me is is the mentality of players in 
in football, in, in professional sport in general, like the best players, how do they do it? Um, Virgil van Dijk seems to be a perfect team player. I mean, maybe it's because he came from more unfashionable clubs or, you know, it took him a long time to break into the European elite of clubs um, that maybe he's, he sort of understands more the team ethic because that's something that seems to have plagued uh, the Dutch national team, for example, over the years. You know, you always heard about infighting uh, amongst the squads. And uh, what did you learn about Virgil's mentality? I mean, what, what can you tell us that you learned from doing your research on this book? I think you make a, a couple of very valid points here. Um, local players in the Netherlands, um, the best players tend to get picked up by fancy academies and then there'll be scouts from big clubs. Like if you go to the Ajax training ground on a Saturday afternoon, you'll see scouts from Liverpool, Real Madrid, Manchester City, Manchester United, Bayern Munich, Dortmund, Juventus, go on, go on, go on. Um, and from a very young age, it's almost impossible for those players to not feel like they're something special, like they're the best, the best thing since, since whatever. Um, with Virgil, it is obviously a little bit different because nobody has ever, from a well, when he was younger anyway, nobody really seemed to think that he would be capable of going on to do what he is doing. So he really has had to work very hard to stand out to get into the picture of gradually bigger clubs before getting to the very top the hard way as opposed to being a seven-year-old kid picked up by Ajax, by Feyenoord, by PSV and get scouted for scouted by a really big club from really young from a really young age it makes you feel like you're something special and Virgil certainly doesn't have any of that over him no no yeah thank you very much and um okay I'll just dive straight into the question, I suppose. I've got my theories about it, but uh, I want you to, to tell me yours. Why do you think it took so long for Virgil to join a top European side? I genuinely think, having spoken to many people who knew him from a younger age, that he is a player whose abilities have only improved drastically at a later age than many of his peers have done. Like, you can draw a comparison between him and Matthijs de Ligt, who is only 20 years old still, which is pretty incredible to think um, when you consider everything he has already done. Um, Matthijs de Ligt last season was in the top 10 defenders in Europe, aged 18. Yeah, he was 18 years old, captaining the side of the Ajax side that went to the semi-final of the Champions League and Virgil van Dijk at age at age 18 was not somebody who really stood out. The scout who got him to FC Groningen said as much as well. We knew he could be a first team player for us, but we didn't really see a generational talent, which let's face it, he is. So yeah, he was only really esteemed to be good enough eventually to be a first-team player for a mid-table side in the, in the Dutch league. So, yeah, it took so long because I think he only got better at a later stage than many of the other players that are currently at the top level of football. Excellent. Well, yeah, as a late bloomer, he's, he's bloomed into the 
the most beautiful flower. Uh, excellent. Thank you very much. Um, Jan, we, we, we don't really have, have much time for, for more, I'm afraid. But um, just uh, finally then, um, if you could please let our, our listeners know uh, your, your social media details and just remind us again of, of uh, how, how do you spell the website so we can, uh, we can find the, we can get the book from in English, please. The English language version of the book is available on Kobo, which is kobo.co.uk. And the book is called A Day in the Life of Virgil van Dijk. Wonderful stuff. And uh, and how can people find you on Twitter, please? Uh, my Twitter name is basically, yeah, it's just my full name. So it's at Jan Willem Spaans, which I should probably spell out. Um, so J-A-N-W-I-L-L-E-M-S-P-A-A-N-S. Fantastic. Yeah, good. Yeah, so do follow follow Jan everybody and uh you know um hang on for his uh reading of of a passage from his book i'm sure you'll love it um Jan it's it's been a real pleasure thank you thank you so much for for talking to me and and uh talking to our listeners today and thank you for having uh, me. uh no it's been a real pleasure thank you very much and um yeah i don't know just very quickly what do you think's going to happen um, to the rest of the season. I mean, surely they can't void the season, can they? <laughs> um, I don't think the season is going to be voided. Um, not in the Premier League, not with Liverpool being runaway leaders. There is a scenario when, like, there's no realistic alternative to Liverpool being champions, so... That is what I do expect. Liverpool will be declared champions. But the only thing I really hope for is that this won't end up being necessary and the season can be completed on the pitch. Yeah, well, we can all hope for that. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Jan. Um, yeah, and good luck. Good luck with the My book. My pleasure. Thank you. And now, dear listeners, for your aural gratification, here is Jan kindly reading an excerpt from his book, A Day in the Life of Virgil van Dyck. Then, 15 minutes to the end, the decisive moment in Virgil's final arrives. Origi loses a header on the edge of the box. Suddenly, five Liverpool players are in front of the ball. Mora passes to Ali, who has more than enough room to play in Sun. Virgil tracks back, and when he tries to intercept, the Korean moves up a few gears with a stunning burst of pace with which he moves between Virgil and Matip. The people in the stadium are now firmly split into two camps. The Liverpool supporters hold a collective breath, both cheering on Tottenham are roaring enthusiastically as if they were at a Coliseum, a crowd expecting a mauling. Just when you think Son will actually become the first player this season to dribble past the Dutch defender and go one-on-one against Allison, Virgil produces a burst of pace of his own. Quite where it came from, nobody knows. We know that he's far from slow despite his size, but this acceleration is something extraordinary. Maybe it's caused by the lost final 12 months ago. Maybe it's the knowledge that all big ears are within reach, every footballing boy's dream, and that's after all those years of relentless work and setbacks of all kinds. Maybe it's all due to a lack of recognition in Tilburg, where they let this fourth of nature go without putting up much of a fight, but also due to so many clubs who didn't take the opportunity to sign them. Maybe his memories of the long and winding road to the top of the game, a world that couldn't be further away from his first job at a restaurant he had as a schoolboy. Whatever it is that enables this outer-worldly power, it ends up rescuing Liverpool. 
The moment that Virgil catches the Korean and puts the ball out for a corner with his huge right foot, it's the moment that it seems clear who will win this game.